says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet Podcast. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. Joining me to break down a wild, high-scoring affair up on the Sunshine Coast is my good mate, 60s of the Eels, making it five in a row. Near flawless first half, followed by a bit, a bit of a scrappier second half. We'll dive into that, though, big fella. How are you feeling after the Eels banked the fifth straight win heading into the bye? I feel a cliche coming on. <laughs> <laughs> I feel the classic rugby league cliche coming on. <laughs> uh, Look, we can we can laugh and in, and enjoy it. Uh, I think you. I want to throw it to you because I think you summed up my takes in in one statement about uh, what that means going into the bye. Yeah, I mean, I know that it would have been a lot of fans frustrated by the second half not going on and being as ruthless as we hope to be, but. Given the circumstances of our run 60s, going five in a row, getting guys fit, coming into this bye, I almost see it as a weirdly as a positive that that second half was so dusty because it means that the coaches got plenty of ammo to hone in on the boys on across those next two weeks, and the boys aren't going to coast with the week off. So you know, chance to stay fired up, like locked in, dialed in to come out against a very good New Zealand outfit in uh, two weeks' time on 5:30 p.m. Saturday, which is going to be, I hope. A sellout or close to at Combank. Yeah, look, I, I agree a hundred percent there. And given how buoyant the team was at training this week, I, I won't say that I would have liked them to uh, be tempering their buoyancy in any way, shape, or form. But as you said, it's I guess a, a point where they won't now be getting too far ahead of themselves. Mm-hmm. You would want to have the confidence there, but. Look, it was there was a real momentum turning point when the Eels went a whole sequence of incomplete sets where the Dolphins were basically starting the second half like they did the first. Yes. We're ready to turn perfect ball over to the Eels and we just stuffed up and stuffed up and stuffed and, up. And, and on top of that, I feel like there was a little bit of game management from the officials there too. Uh, some non-forward passes, called forward passes, some forward passes missed for the Dolphins, some ruck infringements that probably should have been penalised, let go. Um, and yes, but mostly it was the Eels getting in their own way there. But like I said, uh, you know, there's definitely a positive in that with the coaches giving ammunition or getting ammunition. Um, but yeah, before we do give too much of a complex breakdown, 60s, give a quick shout out to the sponsors of the show, Big Swing Golf, North Mead and Star Partners Real Estate, Auburn, Norellan and Parramatta, mighty, mighty Parramatta there. Uh, bringing the show to you guys live, or not necessarily live, but recorded uh, each and every episode. Uh, but yeah, mate, let's get into the numbers quickly. Parramatta Eels, 48, accounting for the Dolphins, no uh, location or geographical name there, the Dolphins only 20, up at Sunshine Coast Stadium. Must well, be we'll call them the Sunshine Coast. The sun, yeah, uh, they're, they're the Sunshine Coast Dolphins this week. There you go. So Sunshine Coast Dolphins this week uh, for the Dolphins. Rookie Braden McGrady, he scored the opening try in the third minute, followed by the Hammer, who got a double. Gosh, he's so good in open space. And look, the Eels almost accommodated him too much in that regard with a couple of kicks that played to his strengths, uh, but he certainly made the most of it. And uh, the, not rookie, he is a rookie, I suppose. Uh, another, uh, the union convert is probably the better way of putting it. Valence Stafade also scoring 
Asako having a bad day at the tee, only two from four. For the Eels, it was a procession. Uh, with Andrew Davey opening the scoring for the Eels in the sixth minute, I was one set too late in my prediction six. He's had the Davey FTS there. He got the first try scored for the Eels, but not for the game. Jermaine Hopgood had an outstanding individual try, followed by Will Penasini with a double, Quentin Gufferson with a double. Uh, and then you got Bowie Simonson and Sean Russell also bagging four-pointers. Perfect after tee for Mitchell Moses. Didn't look like he was going to miss one, honestly. And a lot of high difficult, high degree of difficulty kicks there. Can, Until, I, uh, can I interrupt? Yeah, a get in there. Uh, the uh, preview punting tip. That's right. You did You did text me about this one too. Yeah, Will Penasini to score in an Eels win. And I even suggested that people might consider backing up on Jermaine Hopgood. <laughs> um, and I, I said I did tip in the in our preview podcast, Mitch Moses be the tr- first try scorer and maybe even uh, consider a... a, a a three game, a three leg multi, same game multi. That that of course didn't come through, but uh, that's now a couple of weeks in a row for the uh, for the the tip with the uh, score a try and win market. So hopefully people got onto that as they did last week. So I was pleased to hear people got on it last week. So mm-hmm. anyway, I, I needed to have that little bit of self congratulations there <laughs> in the middle of the, the podcast. I'll throw it back to you for the. Uh, rest of the stats there. Yeah, of note in those are try scoring and point scoring feats. 60s, Mitch going over a thousand career points as an eel, uh, which means he joins, I think, just the Crow and Birdie as the only two eels to achieve that feat. So, in rarefied company, right there. But as in terms of uh, the team stats, Parramatta Eels dominating possession 59% to 41%. Time of possession plus, or just a tick under plus nine minutes for the blue and gold. Uh, end up completing at 78%, which given how much they struggled in the second half to get to their kick is pretty solid, but when they only made one incompletion in the first half, I suppose that reflects really well in that regard. Uh, Dolphins down at 63%. Eels ahead in all key stats except tackle breaks. The, the Dolphins up plus three there, 27 to 24, but the Eels were over 2K runs, uh, 2K metres run as a team, uh, 534 post-contact metres, 12 line breaks to four, uh, average set distance of a tick under 53 metres, which is gargantuan. Uh, play the ball speed, 3.75 for the Eels versus 3.48 for the Dolphins. Uh, then we go down to the other key stats. Kick defusal, both teams not anywhere near perfect. 73% for the Dolphins, 67% for the Eels. Uh, defense, mm, uh, Eels are, are just a smidge under 88% effective tackle rate. Dolphins, 88.5. So not terrible, not great, uh, which probably plays probably plays fair for the Eels, but I'm surprised the Dolphins... Again, I suppose you can't miss tackles if you give up clean line breaks, right, 60s? This is probably a case of that. Uh, yeah, with the Eels making some very clean line breaks in this game. Uh, 10 Eels to the Eels, 12 to the Dolphins. Two penalties apiece. No six agains in this game. Interesting. I there. thought there was three second-half penalties. Yeah, well, the there. yeah I'm, I'm not sure what if NRL.com's got that one wrong because that didn't feel like there was two penalties because there was a tackle in the air. Reagan Campbell-Gill, I got penalised. And I feel like there was another one, but maybe I'm, I'm misremembering. Uh, no, because Mitchell Moses got penalised for taking out the... Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, so they're, they're, these numbers are wrong. So take yeah. that as you will. Uh, in terms of the player stats, 60s, uh, back line, all having pretty healthy games. Uh, Clinton Gufferson, 164 metres. Will Penasini, 161. Bowie, 191, so a tick under 200 there. 140 for Russell, 116 for Dejan. 192 for Mitchell Moses, by the way. Uh, Reg, 136. Junior, 136. Bryce Cartwright, 111. Hopgood, 160. Ryan Madison, 130. 
So a good production across the team there, forwards, backs, halves alike uh, in terms of tackle breaks. Who we got up here, boys? Uh, looks like it was a big game for Sean Russell. Five tackle busts. Hopgood free. Uh, Mitchell Moses free. Will Penasini free. Uh, Guffo, Bailey Simonson, Junior Barlow all bagging two. And then there was a stack of offloads for Bryce Cartwright. And then in terms of defense, let's see who made the tackles. Uh, looks like it was spread across some of the starting forwards there. 26 for Hopgood, 25 for Cartwright, 28 for Hands. And then everyone else sort of sharing the load in between the teens up to Ryan Madison's 21 off the interchange. Yeah. So let's let's get into our thoughts on what actually transpired out there. Uh, the stats certainly tell a bit of a story, but it's it's really only part of it because we saw two distinctly different halves mm-hmm. of football out there. We saw a first half where literally there were aspects of it that were almost like a training run for the Eels, where they were going through their uh, different shapes and plays and everything was coming off perfectly. I thought... In that first half, um, you know, the, we just took them apart on the edges. And even though there was um, quite a bit of, the, of shifting of the ball, there was a patience involved in it. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't wild passing, as I said. It was, it was, again, the only way I can describe it is literally like going through their shapes in, the, in a training drill. And it was everything was being executed to perfection. Um, but the only hint in that first half to something that the Eels didn't do well was the first try that was conceded to the Dolphins, where there was a short grubber kick that was put in, and it basically allowed the hammer to pick the ball up and and um, uh, get some I, distance. I will there. say, Felice Kafusi did a pretty opportunistic tip on to uh, the hammer there, which it was a relatively low percentage play that paid out big dividends. So, yeah, like, like you said, it certainly wasn't the perfect first half, but it was close to. Um, yeah, but a reminder of just how electric the hammer is. Jeez. And you know what? Big uh, big credit to Mike Siva on that play. He showed plenty of hustle to get a, well, it wasn't really an ankle tap, it was more like a calf slap uh, to get the hammer down. I was shocked that he was able to close the distance. Yeah, and but then we saw, uh, you know, a very similar play with uh, another short Mitch Moses kick that the hammer gathered. Yeah, and that, just... that, that one was a, that was a, the first kick from Mitch wasn't a bad kick. That was just uh, the Eels chase being perhaps fractionally staggered. Kafusi making a, a you know very uh, positive, like you know, positive attacking sort of play. The second one though, I think that was bad for Mitch. Uh, reflective of where he was in the midfield, the options to his right. Uh, I know it was it was a court shot to Gufferson on his inside, uh, but it just it wasn't executed very well. So um, a quick question, without getting too much out of the flow of of what we want to cover tonight, it, was there a, a sense that Mitch Moses ended up overplaying his hand in this game in the second half, perhaps? Um, mind you, in saying that, I'm, I'm I'm reflecting back on it, and the, it was really that kick. Um, you know, he had one kick that went dead in the first half where he just couldn't get the ball to break right the way he sort of tried to off his foot. Um, there was a chip kick where he got penalised for taking out Nicarima without the ball in possession. That was a real... It was the correct call, but it was like one of those real borderline ones where it was a fraction of a second later and he gets a try for Makatoa. Uh, 
Yeah, I think there were, there were elements of him overplaying his hand in the second half in particular. Uh, but I wouldn't say it was you know wildly out of sorts. It was more just like the team uh, had a couple of you know a forward pass here from Brendan Hands, the Ryan Madison or Bryce Cartwright. I think it was uh, you know just all those little things adding up. Uh, Bryce getting that offload stuck in his hands uh, that went forwards, and when Guffer was actually taken out off the ball, by the way. Uh, so yeah, it was just like those little bits and pieces that probably made it look like because it, it was you know around where Moses was sort of trying to facilitate play, made it look like he was probably overplaying his hand a little bit more than he probably was. Yeah, and and that's why I said slightly overplaying yeah. the, his hand there because let's face it, what we what we saw in the first half was close to perfection. What we saw in the second half was a long way from that, and uh, and of course that's where we end up with the the cliche that shall not be said <laughs> at this stage. <laughs> but everyone knows the cliche that I'm hinting towards. Where I look, I'm. I guess where we have to be careful there is that the the main impression right at the moment feels like the second half of what we just with what we just witnessed. Mm-hmm. However, I think we need to also be as, as we break this down, we we have to be giving plenty of praise for what was a, an absolutely dynamic first half of and football. That that's recency bias effect in full force, isn't it? Because even in the space of 80 or 90 minutes when you factor in half-time uh, of football, you're so the, the second half is so imprinted on you that you almost forget about what happened in the first half where it was incredibly fluent, controlled, explosive football. Uh, but in the second half, things didn't go as the plan, and then you get a bit frustrated. I was watching with my old man, and he was getting real mad that you know we, we let them get the 20 points and then you know and just couldn't go on for it. And I could understand his frustrations, uh, but like you said, don't lose sight of what happened in the first half and don't lose sight of the big picture in the premiership race too, where you don't want, in a way, you don't want perfect games at this time of the year, you know, because you can peak too early. This team is obviously, you know, roaring on all cylinders, but they still haven't played their best football, which is good. Yeah, absolutely true. And it's, again, it's going to be interesting The um, what happens with team selection. We know now that for the, in the, immediate short term that it looks like uh, Hopgood, uh, sorry, uh, Hodgson is out for a, a period of time. Nothing's been confirmed in terms of the time, but uh, it's been, uh, BA spoke about in the pregame that he's had an operation on his neck in this past week. So we don't know uh, what the prognosis is, what uh, the recovery time is, whether we'll be back this season or not. Um, it, it's it, it, Then you raise the question, um, what does that mean for our dummy half stocks mm. in, in that um, it's then all in on uh, Brendan Hands, who we saw is Jermaine Hopkins play dummy half today, just yep, to, yep. you know, just to manage the workload for Brendan. Uh, and you know, Jermaine did a good job as the emergency dummy half. But you know, do you look internally? Jaden Yates coming back to get healthy soon, 60s is he an option as a long shot, or do you go external? I mean, I know the Broncos have been linked to Ben Hunt for a short term contract this year. Do you make a play at Ben Hunt? Yeah, um, I mean, I guess I guess the money's there from a a cap perspective because any player that you pick up right now is not going to cost you no, very it's much. A, like a, a quarter of a season at this point or something like that because they get paid yeah. from November. That's right. So it's yeah, it's minimal. It's look, I, I mean, that's a whole other topic when it comes to 
um, the podcast is what we think about what's transpiring around uh, Ben Hunt and what he's been agitating for. But I, I probably don't really want to get into that um, now when it, when it comes to Ben Hunt. But it's it's interesting given that the Eels have uh, spots in the top 30. Uh, I guess it all does centre around on how long uh, Josh Hodgson's injury is going to keep him out for. So um, a, lot of, a lot of supporters are very pleased with the progress of uh, Brendan Hands this season, including us. Um, he's He's been quite the revelation since actually getting his NRL debut and he's taken he's taken to top grade like a duck to water and that's and and his play seems to suit uh, what the eels look to achieve and what they want out of a dummy half so um, you know all's all's good on that front but as we found out in one year um, I think it was only a couple of years back where we lost all three dummy halves and had to play Ray Stone in the dummy half role in the final series. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, once you start to go four deep in dummy halves in the in a season, you know what can actually happen mm-hmm. in any given year. So, um, anyway, that's, uh, that's, that's something that we can perhaps be talking about on a future podcast. But um, as, again, as for now and today's, uh, today's match, it was it was really a case of the eels were executing a lot of what they were aiming to do in their uh, from their match prep. I, I caught training this week. They did a lot of work on uh, taking advantage of uh, what they probably saw as um, superiority on the edges, and when you saw the number of missed tackles when uh, they literally poured through at the at the the edge players and the uh, halves for the dolphins um look i think they're in i think the dolphins are in real trouble right now i tipped them at the start of the season to be down near the bottom of the table if not the wooden spoon i i said in our podcasts earlier in this season I'm 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 waiting for them to falter. Like I'm sure it, I, I'm positive it's going to come. I felt like they were playing way above themselves earlier in the year, and right now, as as teams are starting to find their form, they're finding it hard to go with them. It it just felt like a very skinny roster, and it's always a reminder they of have- how much attrition and the wear and tear of the NRL season takes part uh, in you know the race for the title sixties. You see lots of teams start hot, you know, race out of the blocks, upstarts, looking sharp. This is the year they're going to make the turn. And in this case of the Dolphins, obviously they're not making a turn. They're, they're building from scratch. Uh, but, you know, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And Yeah, they, and there's a, there's a lot of coaches, you know, will speak about players who are either young or they're fringe players, and they know that they can rely on them for a couple of games a year um, here and there. That real test of being a, a true NRL first grader is that weekly grind that's there for the length of the premiership and being able to um, keep up your form for the, the for the large part of the season, and you can get big out of the skin performances from young players, from fringe players, when they're 
they're only in there for a, a short period. When it's there and it's and it's week upon week upon week, it's it's not just a big physical demand; it's a huge mental demand on them as well. And whilst there's some players there that um, have got a long career behind them in the NRL, they're perhaps getting to the back end of their career. Some of them. Um, in which case, you know, maybe, you know, I, I wonder with some of them whether they're going a year too long. There's also a number of players there who have always been fridge players or they've changed clubs a few times. It just, and then you've got those young ones that have made their debut for the Dolphins this season. And you just think, yeah, they're just, no, this is a, this is close to a bottom of the table roster with a couple of really good players and one superstar in in the hammer thrown in there. But look, I think from here on in, uh, the Dolphins march backwards through the Premiership. And, you know, you don't like to predict doom and gloom for any particular club, but can you see them turning anything around, Forty? Not in a major sense. I could see him maybe arresting the skid at some point and getting a win, you know, win or two in a row against some of the lesser opposition, depending on how their draw falls. Because I, I look at the bottom half of that ladder, and there are uh, some beatable teams there, right? You know, Tigers, Bulldogs, Dragons. Uh, obviously, not so the Warriors now, who look like a pretty reasonable outfit. But uh, outside of that, the Titans are pretty streaky. Uh, the Sea Eagles without Tom Tobojevic. The Cowboys, I know they're good, right? Uh, looking good right now, but they could easily drop off. Newcastle, like so, they're if they're playing those teams, and I haven't seen their draw. There's the opportunity, you know, the bank a win or two here or there. And given that they've got seven wins to their name, they can probably, at the end, end of the season, they might be closer to the top eight than they would, people would have expected, but maybe not top eight contenders anymore, yeah. Yeah. Um, now, I guess we, we really, we, given we are a Parramatta Reels podcast, to take the attention away from the Dolphins and talking about what lies ahead for them and get back to our Eels, mm-hmm. um, the those the the tries today what pleased you most about the tries that the eels scored today i mean if i had to sort of compare which tries i really liked um really liked the jermaine hopgood try 60s it was a, a sort of the part two of what he did against manly just that physical dominance of wanting it more than the defenders and just smashing his way over love to see that and and it's sort of kindred try there and will penicini's effort who you know the more i watch will penicini in these runs he I know this probably wouldn't you know, make much of a difference to you, but as someone who watches the NFL, he really reminds me of an NFL running back. When he gets in the contact, he just gets low, leans forwards, and, and really creates that extra sort of acceleration into contact to create that uh, bump or the ability to separate himself from the defender. We saw that again in this game here where he just he threw Ewan Aiken to the ground, who was a good defender, by the way, uh, and then got past him to score. I uh, really like that stuff. Aside from that, the, the backline moves were so clean. So a big fan of those, and Bryce Cartwright just you know showing his incredible offloading chops and the ability to do it selectively too. So big, big fan of all that stuff there. But yeah, the Hopgood and Penasini tries were my favourites just because of the the brute sort of power and physicality that they deployed to score their four pointers. Yeah, uh, look, it's interesting that you raise that about how Will beats defenders. Uh, he look the that low bump is different to what we used to see with Eric Growth Sr. But Eric Growth Sr. had that low bump. Mm. Like, he would get down low. And really and lean into the contact, like yeah. Real, yep, lean into the contact. Now, he had a different running style. 
he was probably faster than Will Penasini. Um, he he was uh, a taller build, I would have said, than uh, Will Penasini. Although, um, you know, it's it's hard it's hard to actually align players from different eras because you're comparing them to the players that they were lined up against. So, um, uh, but yeah, he, he definitely had that way of beating defenders as well. And it's almost like you, you back will that he's either going to, he's either going to beat an opponent with one of those bumps or he's got that really quick footwork where he, he just has the, he's got this ability to stand up a defender when it doesn't seem like there's too much that's going on. And uh, it's, it's the really quick stepping that seems to do it. Um, yeah. Look, I, what I really liked in, in those assortment of tries was I think there was about three or four offloads from Bryce Cartwright that were critical in getting line breaks and, I'm just watching his form, and I'm, you know, I reckon it's becoming quite irresistible on the on the right edge. And we know that we're likely to have Sean Lane coming back and linking on the left edge. We know that Dylan Brown is still to come back and join in this team. We 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 haven't had any updates on what's happening there. I believe. Has he got his next court appearance this week? I believe it falls either this week or during our bye week. So we should have uh, not necessarily an answer, but maybe better clarity of his situation once they figure out what's happened between the, the parties involved there and then the NRL. Well, he's look, he's not going to be stood down for the rest of the season. We don't want to really talk any more on that particular topic, but it's, it's a case of um, we know he will be back into that side and, and Dejan Arce has done an outstanding job in the team. He's he's pretty much played his role to perfection. Um, but Dylan Brown is is a game breaker. He's yeah. an elite defender, and the fact that the Eels have not really skipped a beat during his absence speaks to the overall form of the team. And look, just how, how we, good they're traveling. We spoke about this in the past. Jay Field came into the team, did a great job as well, you know. And and this was pre Trent Barrett too. Was obviously done an incredible job of our attack. So don't sleep on the the impact that Arthur and Murphy and all the you know the established coaches have had in creating an environment where these guys can come in and play good football. And like I said, we saw it with Field going back to the COVID impacted season, and now we're seeing it with Dejan, who's just come in and been wonderful. So you know he's he's taking his opportunity and made a real fist of it. And it gives BA some serious questions heading into that game against the Warriors as to how he constructs his team now. You know. Oh yeah, the, this isn't the, this improvement in players and and getting quality performances out of players. This is not a 2023 phenomena. It, it's it's something that's happened pretty much, uh, you know, during BA's tenure with the club. And and you mentioned because Murph's been pretty much the attack coach during that time. And and Murph and Trent Barrett share that role in the in the club this year. They have different aspects of, a, of the attack that they look after. So it, it's just watching them as a coaching unit. They're, along with Steve Antonelli, who uh, joined the club this year as the defence coach, 
it's they're they're a really they look like they're a really tight group as as coaches they seem to enjoy just watching them out on the field they seem to enjoy each other's company as much as the players seem to enjoy each other's company out there as well it's a very positive vibe within the club at the moment so um yeah now uh, plenty that we liked in that first half mate um what were you thinking at half time did you have were you thinking this is going to perhaps going to be some sort of record score or like me were you thinking the worst thing that can happen is half time yeah it was definitely the latter but in the same time as much as i was concerned about the the fade that could happen after half time i also just took a moment to appreciate how good the football was in that first half uh, i i knew that you, you couldn't sustain that sort of play with the break if we kept playing completely different thing right uh, you don't go into the sheds and we just we will put 80 90 on them in that context uh, given that we, we'd be able to use the bench 60s. We had fresh forwards there to just tap into, uh, to you know just run them down the entire time. Half-time, obviously the worst thing that could have happened to them. And then, you know what? I think the, the Dolphins almost having that spider start as well threw us off kilter. The fact that they came out and were terrible. Sort of uh, got into our heads, I think. So Well, probably, probably the, moment, the ultimate momentum killer was the uh, forward pass play with Brendan Hansen and Bryce Cartwright because that then was, I think only on about the first or second tackle uh, right in front of the post, the Dolphins post. And then they went with a scrum play that took them all the way down for a try from, uh, from that turnover of uh, position. And it was like, I, I felt that if the Eels had have completed the set of six there, that there was a try on offering and, um, and I mean, mind you, we're still leaving plenty of tries out there. Sevo is now on a run of four consecutive disallowed tries. It, there must be some sort of record for an individual player. It's probably the sort of thing they don't keep records on. It might but be. I can't recall player, any player going four tries, four disallowed tries in a row. And a couple of those were no-brainer tries, by the way. And this one today was pretty close. Um, I, I, I imagine they've got time-coded replay, so when you look at one replay, you can see it's in sync with the other one. But I thought that the, there was that one frame where his foot was still in before it went out, where it looked like the balls are on the line, but I don't know. I wasn't too upset that it got turned down, just he's been incredibly unlucky, though. Yeah, look, I think um, that that might have, again, been another, another time where uh, Bailey could have gone himself. In, into the mm-hmm. into the corner there. Um, I also think and this is going to sound wild with this. I actually think Sivo's out out of try scoring form. I I think he's like in that in that scenario in the past. I might have backed Sivo to get there, and it, I mean it, it might seem like a harsh criticism when he had a couple of players on him, but I keep feeling that he's just leaning his body into the defenders rather than looking to beat them. And uh, you know, right, right at the moment, I, I'm I'm almost backing defenders to to uh, stop him right now. <laughs> and, and and like as I said, that might seem a crazy thing to say with the bloke that's on top of the try scoring uh, table. Um, but I don't know. It's I don't know whether he's having whether I'd call this a mid season slump. Whether he, the the mojo's not not quite there. Um, but maybe my maybe my my expectations and hopes 
every time the ball gets into his hands in the um, in the opposition uh, red zone are higher than uh, maybe what they should be. You know, maybe it's unrealistic. My hopes that he's, you know, if he gets the ball five, ten metres out, that he's going to score a try. But, yeah, we're now on a run of four in a row. And, and yes, uh, th- those ones that were disallowed on him, they um, they didn't really have anything to do with him. That was that was everything to do with what happened on the inside and a couple of refereeing calls on what happened on the inside. So, Does he have a case uh, to answer for the forearm? I thought I thought he tried to make contact with the sort of right in the tricep knot on the arm, but because uh, uh, Zarko had his arm, you know, angled up for the tackle, it just it literally just skidded straight up into his like head. So I don't all know. All I will say, all I will say is, if Tino can get away with yeah the positioning of his forearm in this instance, I thought it was uh, that there was a lot of the 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 hand and palm that came into contact with the head in, in I won't say a conventional palming motion, but it was, let's just say it was far closer to the palm of the hand than it was to the elbow. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, it was, yeah, I, I, I thought it was a slightly poorly executed palming that he was, that he was going for there. Um, but any time, and I, I was going to write about this in the, bumpers up but anytime you've got bumpers up you've got to be looking for having your arms more vertical to get away with the yeah, bumpers up yeah um as soon as you've got a horizontal arm you and you're presenting a horizontal arm which means the forearm and the elbow are up pointing towards the uh, opponent's head rather than your rather than your hands and wrist up around their head you're going to be in trouble you know that that the bumpers up is really that protection to the top half of your body and the ball. When you're going for that, um, the 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 horizontal arm, you're looking to use that as a weapon to get out of the tackle. And mm-hmm. yeah, you I think you I think you're taking somewhat of a risk in doing that. You, you are risking that you're going to be penalised or you're going to be suspended. You're risking something's going to go wrong in using that technique. So, um, but yeah, let's uh, let's try and get back to uh, the positives there. Who are the players, mate, that really impress you out of today's clash? Oh, Yes, uh, Jermaine Hopkins was outstanding again, but he was so good that the coach actually gave him a rest. He only had 60 minutes to his name, so it kind of counts against him for the points, doesn't it? Uh, uh, but, yeah, I was trying to think of uh, who who was real good. I mean, Bailey was very good, but then had his moments in defense where he got caught a couple of times, uh, and that's going to be good instructional tape for him during the bye. Uh, Moses, as much as you know, he might have overbite his hand at times, was also excellent. Uh, Guffo, you know, Mr. Johnny on the spot again. Whew, I don't know. I mean, Bryce Cartwright's first half was phenomenal. And over numbers, again, aren't incredible, you know, 111 metres. But his touches, three line break assists, you know, all of those offloads. So, yeah, to put the three points down, 60s, I'm trying to figure out who I want here. Maybe maybe I will go Will Penasini, just for the, you know, the strength of his running game in this one. As your as your best on field, yeah. It's um, look. I felt 
I felt that in a way it was a game that wasn't quite Parramatta football. Mm. There was, and and that's why the second half, I thought felt. Uh, well, it wasn't what we needed it to be. Uh, you know, the the first half was was almost there were there were aspects of it where the opponent's defence just it, it was such that we were we were playing almost playing touch football with them. You know, I'll go, yeah. I'll go Bryce Cartwright. I'm just looking at the stats now, and just defensively, Bryce was very good. Great play, the ball speed, the free line break assist. I think he was the best of the first half. I know he had that yeah. one error in the second half, but. Uh, that was one of those ones where the board just got stuck in his hand. Yeah, so I'm I'm going first of all. I, I'm I'm going my three points with Gutho mm-hmm. because I I thought he was he was good for eighty minutes. True. And I'm going to go for um, Bryce Cartwright for two points because he was simply outstanding in the first half, reasonably solid in the second half. Um, it, this is probably a game where, because the points margin was so was so vast, that I don't think we could use the usual metric of would the team have won without them mm-hmm. to decide who the three two one uh, recipients are. But once we get to the one point, that's where I'm going to uh, throw one towards uh, Will Penasini. I expected him to have a have a, a good performance. He. He did what he needed to do in the second half. He was exceptional in the first half. Um, so, yeah, I'm going uh, Gutho 3, Bryce Cartwright 2, and um, and Pensini 1. Yeah, so I'll, I'll keep Cardi in the 3, Gutho 2. And I know I gave Will well, 3 points originally. I was looking at his, his defensive stats. He missed a couple of tackles there. Uh, so that I'll count that against him, even though he had a good game. Uh, and the player I probably want to shout out to, who I thought had a nice bounce back from Origin, was Junior Barlow. Uh, played nice and direct, good physicality, a couple good offloads. Uh, so, yeah, he misses the points, but a, a big shout out there for the big fella. Yeah, well, there wasn't really too many um, players out there at all that, that did future selection choices any harm. But now that was one of those games where it's... Um, well, it was fairly similar. I think um, was it the Bulldogs that we that we put a score on before we went into the into a buy. I feel like the Bulldogs were the first team we did the side the run with, right? Let me go quickly check. Uh, so it was Bulldogs thirty to four. So we beat the Tigers twenty eight twelve, and then no, so we you know the Bulldogs second time. There we go. Yeah, we came off the buy having beaten. No, we beaten. Souths and the Cowboys uh, then went to the bye. Then we pumped the Bulldogs, pumped Manly, and now we've pumped the Dolphins. So, yeah, okay. coming out of the bye was the Bulldogs. There you go. To put right, us okay. So, look, this was, as we've talked about before, when you're coming into a bye, they're, they're effectively like a four-point game. Exactly. Because, because you, you're guaranteed the next two points anyway. So it means Parramatta's gone on a, a run of, what is it, five five wins and two byes? Is yes. that what we're... So you've got seven effective wins in the context of the latter year. Uh, five wins, so... two buys, and you now have the Warriors, the Titans, and the Cowboys coming out of the buy. And I know that the Warriors are playing very good football, uh, but you know that's a game at Combank that you, you want to be putting away. The Titans are at Combank. You want to be putting that away. You're going up to Queensland Country Bank Stadium to take on the Cowboys, which is going to be a tough one. 
Uh, but you want yep. you want to, you want to try and get as many of those three one because then you've got Melbourne, St George, Brisbane away, uh, Roosters, Penrith, and then our final buy to round out the regular season. So this this whole stretch, the five games we've won in a row, and the three games coming up, goes a long way towards defining what is available for the Eels in that that last stretch of games. Are we playing for you know potentially minor premiership? That's like an outside chance, but still potentially minor premiership. Top four, top two, top eight. You know, like all the seeding questions are going to be answered in the next month or so. Yeah. So after uh, we now move on to 20 points and then 22 points with the buy, is that correct? Uh, 20 points and then 22, I believe is right. So provisionally in fifth spot on the ladder. Uh, just trying to check who's got games to play this week. So Melbourne, we're not going to catch the Broncos this week. Rabbitohs are behind us. So the Rabbitohs are probably the big one there. Uh, the Rabbitohs could potentially jump us again, I believe. Yeah, so they're, they're on even points of us, but our four and against is uh, uh, worth about 33 points more than theirs. Uh, so is there, that, that is right. That is our update for and against. Yeah, so yes, yeah, so we, we could end the round moving up a spot or two. Yeah, okay. Well, look, it's basically the Eels have, as I mean, as as all teams do, They've got their destiny in their own hands here. It's um, they've set themselves up where they can launch really well into that run into finals football. So you come into that that um, those, those last rounds on twenty two points. You know that the final round is a buy, so you've got a guaranteed two points to finish the season on, and every game one from after this bye is, you know, just edges you that bit closer, not just to finals football, but to where you want to finish, which is in the top half of the eight. And mm-hmm. Parramatta has to aim for the top half of the eight. It's it's no good to, I mean, we're, yeah, we'll be, we'll be um, ha- you know, happy to play finals football, but realistically to be the best possible chance of breaking any drought or doing some damage in the finals you want to finish in the in the top half of the of the top eight and there is no reason that Parramatta can't go on to push for being up in the top four this season uh, of course they you know they've got to do it on the field but they put themselves in that position they they got players who'll be returning um Mate, it's uh, it, it's full without getting ahead of ourselves. They're in a, a reasonably good position, and um, if you had have said at the start of the season, where would you want to be? I'd maybe would have wanted to have been another two or four points better than what we are at the moment. Mm-hmm. But you know, in in terms of the form that the Eels are uh, demonstrating, I've been I've been reasonably happy with their form all season, and the outstanding for and against is evidence that there is something going uh, very right this year compared to last year. And even with last year being a grand final appearance, I've got, I have an element of, I won't say confidence, but uh, something more than hope that the, the Eels can, can do some damage this season. Mm Mm-hmm. I agree, mate. Um, and before we do sign off, uh, there is a couple of games that were played today uh, with the Eels in the Jersey flag taking on the Cronulla Sharks out of Point Bank Stadium and in the New South Wales Cup, the Eels taking on the Newtown Jets, the Cronulla Sharks affiliate team in the New South Wales Cup. Uh, so good news and bad news, 60s. 
Uh, the good news is that the young lads snapped a five-game losing streak with a 22-12 win over the third-placed Cronulla Sharks. Matty Arthur bagged a double in the first 12 minutes, obviously getting a start at the dummy half this week, uh, with uh, Nick Lenar's court up to the New South Wales Cup, actually. Uh, and then Charlie Geimer and Araz Nanva joining them on the scorer sheet. Had to do a quick double-check on Araz, who is a Rouse Hill boy, believe it or not. Um, so well done to him for scoring on club debut in the Jersey flag. Ethan Sanders, three from four off the tee. Richard Penasini and Max Bradbury for the Sharks there. Both got Simbin in the 58th minute, so it sounds like there was some uh, beef or on-field uh, provocations right there uh, that escalated into something a little bit more. But well done to our boys, mate. That's a tough road trip to go out to the Shire and beat a team like the Sharks. Yeah, well, they were sitting up near the top of the table. Yeah, third, third end to the round, I think. Yeah, and, and pretty much still are sitting about third on the table, the Sharks. So for the Eels to get what looks like, you know, you're not going to call it a comprehensive win, but a very strong win. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we spoke about uh, the importance of the inn of uh, Matty Arthur and the spine that would be there for the team this week. Um, you, you mentioned the try scored by Arans, who uh, when we were talking just before recording this podcast, I said to you, if he's the player that I recall, he was in the same if he is that that fullback that I recall being in the Rouse Hill team that uh, Buds Arthur was playing in, I caught a um, a finals match and I I made comment to some others that I was surprised that he wasn't um, a chance of being in in one of the Eels um, uh, pathways teams. Either you know, well at that age, I think he would have been looking at um, a Harold Matts team because uh, it's going back a year or two mm-hmm. that I would have caught that game. But yeah, he 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 played really really well at fullback. Now I'm not sure what position he ended up playing in today, but um, have you got details on that at all? No, they had him listed on the interchange. Uh, so yeah. be interesting to see when you get a chance to look at the feed. Uh, where he played, so was he the like, utility back or is he transitioned into the back row? Um, so, yeah, a couple options there, obviously. Uh, but in the big picture, glad to see our boys snap that losing streak, in which, you know, they they got beaten you know comfortably once or twice, but they were in the contest for the vast majority of those losses. And, you know, that can be really frustrating when you're playing decent football but not getting the results, other what we saw in the NRL at the start of a season. So hopefully they can sort of convert that same energy the way the NRL boys did and, and start banking a few wins in a row and haul themselves back up into finals contention. Yep. And then, of course, the um, there was a defeat today. Yes, and this is one that we did expect. Newtown Jets are a very high-quality outfit in the New South Wales Cup. They've got one of the more stacked rosters. They accounted for the Parramatta Eels, 40-22, out at Henson Park. This one obviously clashing with the NRL fixture uh, for the Eels. Jack Murchie actually got the first try in the game in the fourth minute. Lorenzo Molotalo... Matt Dury and Zach Sini scoring the four tries for the Eels. A couple of good names to see on that list there, Murchie and Dury in particular, seeing that they're, you know, doing their job down there. Uh, it was uh, Jack Murchie did the opening conversion? That can't be right. That can't be right. That's got to be a mistake from New South Wales Rugby League. Yeah, then, yeah, well. Then they've got Jordan yeah. Rankin down for the next two made conversions and the final conversion was missed by presumably Jordan Rankin. But, um, you know, if Murchie did kick it, well done to him. Maybe Jordan Rankin was in the HIA. Who knows? Uh, yeah. 
I wouldn't have had him as the backup kicker in this team. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, I'm looking at this team. 60s, Connor Tracy, Josh Mansour, Mawani Harati, Kyle Iro, Samuel Stonestreet, Braden Trindle, uh, Niwai Puru, uh, Jaden Beryl, uh, Billy Magulius. Like This is a very good team, and it's no surprise they accounted for the Paramount Eels, as I said earlier. But this 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 does mean the Eels slumped the four straight losses, giving up at least 35 points in each of those losses and 40-plus or 40 or 40 plus in the last three. Uh, the Newcastle game being the only one below that at 35. So they've got some work to do, mate. And we know they're down on troops. And we know that this was a tough matchup this week. But they've got the bye. A uh, chance to maybe maybe mentally get right and come back and host the New Zealand Warriors and look to get their season reignited. Yeah, uh, look, just without seeing any footage or getting any feedback on the game, I'm still thinking that they they've been a bit more competitive in this game. That, that scoring is good. Yeah. They have been recently. Yeah. So. Well, we saw them score and a try, the first try against the Blacktown Worker Sea Eagles, and then get run over. But in this one, they they gave scored the first try, gave up uh, a few tries against the the Jets, but then got back into it for tries in the twenty eighth and thirty second minute. So it wasn't like they completely faltered as they've done in recent weeks. It was just in the second half, uh, in the late in the second half too, fifty seven seventy fourth minute. That uh, it looks like, yeah, both tries were converted. So 12 points took that scoreline from uh, 28-22 to 40-22. So, yeah, they were, they were in it until the sort of final quarter of play, which is a lot better than where they've been uh, in recent weeks. Yes, yep, yep, absolutely. So, uh, mate, that's, that just about wraps us up. Um, we will have content coming your way. It may be a buy this week for the Eels, but we'll have content coming your way during the week. So make sure you stick with the Cumberland throw. Um, again, thank you to our sponsors, Big Swing Golf, North Mead, and Star Partners Real Estate, Auburn, Norellan, and Parramatta. Uh, our next home game, our next match is a home game at Combank Stadium. So again, look for us at the home of the Eels, Parramatta Leagues Club when we will bring you our post-match instant reaction live from Jack's Bar and Grill. Until then, mate, go you eels.